For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast, a voice for culture and conservation within fly fishing. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is made possible by Deli Fresh Design, a fly fishing apparel company that handmakes a unique line of products in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Deli Fresh blends old waders and recycled sailcloth with Cordura canvas to make bomber, river tested gear such as beer koozies, fly wallets, and sling packs to help you, the angler, spend more time casting and less time juggling your gear. To see these great products, go follow them on Instagram, where you can also see their brand new backpack designs. To find out more, visit delifreshdesign.com. We're also sponsored by the fine folks at Scott Fly Rods. Jim Barkey and his crew uses professionals in the industry from step one on designing a rod. Professionals like Brian Husky, the founder of Keep Em What? I've really been happy to be part of Scott Fly Rods. Michigan guide Mike Schultz. I've been fishing Scott Rods for close to 20 years. Trent Tatum of Wyoming's The Reef Fly Shop. Scott Fly Rods. Build rods to fish. Grant Hu of St. Pete's in Fort Collins, Colorado. As a Scott Pro staff, honored to use the rods and fish the rods and support the company. Gary Merriman of Atlanta's Fish Hawk Fly Shop. I've carried Scott for years. These rods are designed and tested by professionals so that when you take them out of the rod tube, you know that they're going to work every single time. Okay, on to the show. Welcome back to the Drake Cast, folks. For a large portion of the country, the seasons are changing. Here in Wisconsin, temperatures have dropped and the leaves are starting to turn. And this transformation is also having an impact on the trout. While scrolling through the old Instagram the other day, I noticed that some other folks had experienced these same changes on their local waters, which can really be summarized in the audio from this video. That splashing, is from a video of a monster brown trout. But this trout isn't taking a fly, it isn't thrashing in a net, Actually, there's no rod or line or really any indication of angling in this video. This trout is preparing for an annual ritual. The ritual of making love, more commonly known as spawning. Today, we're going to talk about how we interact with fish engaged in their pre-coital preparations. If we're going to interrupt trout as they get ready to get busy. Whether or not we fuck with a fish about to fuck. You get the idea. And make sure you listen all the way to the end, because it's there that we have a pretty big announcement about the future of this podcast. So stick around. To get deeper into this issue, I have to introduce a character. Hello. Hey, is this Ben? <laughs> I'm already on all the pro staffs, man. You know that. Online, you might know this guy as Careless Ethiopian. Can you just describe where your Instagram handle came from? Who is Careless Ethiopian? Um, I get asked that question a lot, where, where that name come from. It comes originally from the Bible. It's the Bible thing. When I have set a fire in Egypt, and when all her helpers shall be destroyed, in that day shall messengers go forth from me in ships to make the careless Ethiopians afraid. But for me, 
it came from reggae music. Guys, it's a little bit of a theme in reggae music, and I like that kind of music a lot. I got it from reggae. Um, so that's just, that's my handle. But he's also a real-life person. Uh, my name's Ben Fittig. I live in Grand County, Colorado. I'm just a, a dude with a family who likes to fish a lot, and I'm out there having a good time. Cool. And so are you a guide? Are you a part-time guide? You also work a real job? Yeah, I have another job, main job that has nothing to do with fishing at all. I guided full-time for many years, but then I realized I didn't like that. Um, but I like the part-time gig, but I'm like really part-time. I do like five trips a year, so uh, it just keeps it fun and interesting for me. I originally came across Ben's online persona in the form of a collage of four photos he had posted on Instagram. This collection featured a Toyota Tacoma with two Titan rod vaults, a photo of guide school, a shot of an angler in camo waders with an oversized landing net, and a grip and grin of a long-haired millennial holding a brown trout at an objectively obnoxious angle. This collage was titled, I'm a Huge Fly Fisherman Starter Pack. So can you give me an example of like what your starter pack uh, photo collages are? I don't know, usually they just come into me in a flash, uh, you know, sitting on the toilet or in the shower or something. But it's just a fun way to, to tell it like it is, call people out a little bit. Um, you know, it's intended to be lighthearted fun. And a lot of them are poking fun at myself. That's not always obvious if you don't know me. But it's to make fun of us. It's, I'm not making fun of them. It's to make fun of all of us. You know, like I make fun of the Toyota trucks blah, 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 everyone's got all that and I drive a Toyota. So um, it's just a fun way to, to ground everyone, I think, and just take a step back and be like, look at yourselves. Come on. And along those lines is the stickers that you've had printed up that are kind of <laughs> everywhere right now. Can you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> no, I'll talk all about it because... It doesn't mean one thing. It means a lot of different things. So my little slogan that, that, that I've been throwing around lately is, is the stickers say, I'm a huge fly fisherman. You know, they're originally, I guess, intended for the guy with, you know, the truck, with all the stickers, with the rod rack, whatever it is regionally for you that just screams, that guy fly fishes. You know, we made the stickers to distribute to those people, uh, sometimes clandestinely, usually slipped under a windshield wiper. But it can mean anything. Some people have got them because they really want to display them proudly because they're a huge fly fisherman. I think that's great. But it's, you know, I guess what it, where it came from is we've all met or we've all been with one of our friends. They know we fish a lot. And then, oh, you got to meet my cousin Dave. He's in town. He's a huge fly fisherman. You got to take him fishing. You guys got, you guys will get along so great. So I'm sure that's happened to you a ton of times. It's happened to all of us. I guess that's really where it started. Okay, moral of the story, Ben has a sense of humor that I find amusing. But that's not why he's here. I was talking to Ben because of the sound we heard at the top of the episode. Before we really get into the meat of this issue, let's make sure we're all on the same page about when trout spawn and how you can tell that they're spawning. While I am no biologist, when it comes to trout, there are two main spawning seasons. Browns and brookies tend to spawn in the fall, triggered by falling water temperatures, while rainbows and cutties mate in the spring as the water warms up. 
And as these fish prepare to mate, they tend to pair off and create a nest, which are known as reds, spelled R-E-D-D-S. So can you just explain for people who maybe don't know what a red is, like how you could spot one and what it's going to look like on the river and what kind of substrate you'll find them on? Yes, good question. You know, around here, reds are easy to spot because most of our substrate on the, on the bottom of the river has some like moss and growth on it. So we identify reds as a clear area, a, a patch of clean gravel or cobble. Um, typically, it's going to be pea-sized or, or a little bigger gravel. And the reds that we see are in shallow areas. There's reds in deeper areas that we can't see, but it's going to be like the, uh, the tail out of a run, typically, right above the riffle in the tail out. There'll be some shallow water, and boom, you see a light spot, or it could be several light spots maybe like, you know, they, they could be one foot by one foot. They can be 10 by 10. It can be a giant field of 10 by 10s. You know, I've seen reds that are 100 yards long, and it's, you know, 50 different sub-reds. So clean gravel, patch of clean gravel, and then there's usually there's fish on them. Sometimes it's just the gravel, but boom, if you see two fish paired up, hmm, maybe they're spawning. Or three or four all in a group on this bare patch of gravel. And then there'll be some other fish scattered around as well. But basically they're, they're conspicuous. Maybe not the red, the nest itself, but the fish usually it's like, oh, yeah, look at that. Big fish right there. wonder what he's doing. I'm going to cast at him. Oh, wait, he's spawning. Clean gravel, obvious fish. And when fish are on the spawn... We see a lot of fish that we don't see the rest of the year on a regular basis. Like the really, really big ones. So they're presenting themselves, and, and sometimes it's just too tempting for people. And where Ben lives in Colorado... The spawners are up there totally preoccupied with what they're doing, and they're pretty easy to catch. And then around the spawners, there will be kind of like peripheral fish, and it's the same thing. They're just so focused on what they're doing that they're a really easy target. And for fly fishermen and people that are unfortunately in our community, sometimes that might be too tempting to get that hero shot of that big, beautiful brown trout all colored up with a big kite, you know, the thing you've always wanted. This is an opportunity to make that happen. But Ben is arguing that maybe we as anglers need to take a step back and consider whether or not we cast at these fish. I've alluded to this before, but I think what it boils down to for me is the concept of fair chase, which I'm not a hunter, but I'm familiar with the concept, you know, like you're not going to go run over uh, a deer with a tank. You're going to make it sporting uh, to some degree and give that animal a fighting chance. It's not like there's armies of people out there fishing reds, but it does happen where people walk up on these fish and they see the, the fish as an easy target, and it's because they are an easy target. In an attempt to encourage more ethical, sporting, fair angling practices, Ben has taken a rather novel, unauthorized approach. I have been putting up signs on, I've taken it upon myself to make my homemade signs and put them up on some spawning areas uh, on creeks around here on specific runs and, and areas of creeks where that are traditional spawning areas for brown trout. The signs say, these fish are spawning, please leave them alone. You know, you referred to it as my mission. It's not, it's not really a mission. 
maybe I just have too much free time on my hands, but it was something that I felt I could do to maybe help people understand what they're seeing out there and and what's going on and it's hard to get the point across with just a sign so i just tried decided to keep it really simple these fish are spawning please leave them alone um so they're clearly unauthorized signs you know so if people want to ignore them that's fine with me but i figured it might might get people's wheels turning and maybe they'll go home after seeing that sign and start googling about spawning trout and and fishing for them does that make sense I think a lot of it boils down to education and they're just not aware of what's going on. And I, I have a personal anecdote with that. I, for me, there was a moment when I first became aware of what reds are and what spawning trout are doing. And that was, this is probably 2002 and we're on the bighorn and we're rowing a boat. I had rented a boat with my roommate and we are rowing down and uh there's a shallow riffle with all kinds of rainbow trout on it in like six inches of water and i'm like wow that's let's pull over here and so we pull over and we're walking over toward the fish or maybe i was fishing for him i hadn't been there more than a couple minutes and uh the grisliest looking guide that i had ever seen came rowing down the river uh with a cloud of expletives in front of him directed at me um and he pretty impolitely and in very specific terms let me know what i was doing and fishing the reds and uh i and i got the hell out of there as quickly as possible and then you know that was a long time ago so it's been a long relationship with the whole phenomenon but i hope i can make people aware in a more gentle way than that guy made me aware yeah, you're taking a little bit of lighter tone. It doesn't say the F word anywhere on your sign. But that moment with that guide, it obviously had an impact on you. You're retelling the story now. That was your introduction to what a red was and you started thinking more. How does this relate to like social media shaming and whatnot? What you're doing is an in-person, polite kind of like nudge of, hey, if you're interested, talk more about this. Where, where do we need to go as an industry to better inform people without going too far i guess it's a it's a tough call man it's a really thorny issue number one like just because you see a picture somewhere doesn't mean you knew know exactly what happened you know like where i'm coming from on, on these specific spots that i'm posting is i've seen pictures from you know october 16th this spot like i do know the tree in the background like i know that tree i know where you are and i know what you're doing so that but that's a unusual example and so your question what do we where do we need to go as an industry it's so hard to say man um and there's probably it should probably be a several pronged attack you know boots on the ground maybe not necessarily what i'm doing but something directly confronting or, or addressing anglers on the water but then you know there's just education overall as a whole you know start putting out blog posts or articles in you know september or in the summer or all all over the place it just becomes an education thing but what is the best way to educate i don't know man but i found a way that i can maybe reach some specific people in some, in some specific areas 
whether or not it's working, I have no idea. Um, I will find out maybe when I go back in a month and pick up the signs and see if there's, see if they're still there or see if maybe there's a message back for me. It also, you know, I meant to mention earlier, um, I'm not an authority on it. I'm not an authority figure. I'm not a uh, ambassador of any agency. I'm just a dude out fishing. But you've taken it upon yourself to maybe try to boost the education level of your local fisheries. I, I guess, why did you choose to do that? Honest, I think my most honest answer is because I was pissed off at Instagram pictures of people with fish off of reds. I mean, that's the bottom line. And then, you know, that it's like going back to the fair chase. You know, it's just, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And yes, it was brought, it was brought to my attention that, Hey, this is not illegal. Yes. No, it's not illegal. And you can do what you want to do, but uh, maybe I can nudge you in a different direction. The same way that the fly fishing community has decided that bait fishing just isn't that cool. <laughs> so Ben posted these signs, took some photos, put them on Instagram. And I read some of the comments. And pretty quickly it became clear that not everyone feels the same way as Ben does about targeting fish on reds. And how about other negative comments that you thought had some validity? Uh, just general, like, you can't tell me what to do. Who are you to tell me what to do? It's not illegal. But hey, it's a free country. It's your right to, to tell me that as much as it is my right to try to urge you the other way. And no matter what you do, there's always going to be naysayers and haters. So um, overall, for me, the, the responses that I've gotten from my peers has, has been overwhelmingly supportive. So I, I can ignore the, 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 the negatives right now. One thing I I would like to mention is that I got a lot of sh thrown my I'm not I don't care about the sh thrown my way but people brought up some really good points about why I should not be doing this um, and they were totally great points and one of them that I've been thinking about a lot is have you approached your fishing game or division wildlife have you talked to them about this like why don't you go to the authorities and I I thought about that a lot for many years and it's kind of a weird issue in that like i i don't want special protection for the areas because it would draw attention to those areas and, and like like there's certain places we fish that are great fishing and the worst thing that could ever happen to them is to have like gold medal status or you know to have some sort of elevated fishing status because uh, then they'd be on the map and they'd be popularized so it's like, I would love to talk to the authorities about posting these areas, but I don't because I want to keep them under the radar. And I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just something that's kind of been rolling around in my head, you know? It's the internal struggle of at what cost are you willing to protect the area? Exactly. At what cost and what is the best way? Um, and it's really... and. Maybe what I'm doing is more selfish. You know, whose interest do I really have? Is it mine or is it the fish's? It's a many, many layered and, and many faceted issue. And there's a lot of gray areas and a lot of not right or wrong answers. So what can an angler do when the trout in their local river are spawning? You know, maybe there's a river that's uh, predominantly uh, rainbows. You could fish that river. Or, you know, 
if you're if you're on a river and you want to fish it, there's spawning fish around. Go for the deep holes. You know, pick out fish that are feeding on the banks. Just don't go don't go fish the riffles in the obvious spawning areas. Walk around, get to know your fishery, learn where the the spawning areas are, and learn where they're not. Because not every fish in the river is spawning. Obviously, it's not like I'm telling people you can't fish in you know in the months of October or whatever. But uh, you can walk around and get to know your fishery and and, uh, and learn the spawning areas and w- learn where not to fish and where to fish. So generally, deeper holes, I guess, and the heads of uh, heads of pools. Alternatively, go fish for bass or carp or some fish that isn't in the process of spawning, or just go watch the fish as they do their thing. Like I go and check out reds all the time, not to fish them. I just think it's fun as hell to watch all these fish. And you can just sit there, you can get pretty close to them, and you can just sit there and watch big fish in shallow water. And like I said before, they're the big fish that you don't usually see. So, you know, maybe that's another, uh, uh, another prong of our, of our trident of education is maybe we can take people out to reds and show them what's going on. You know, like, look, these fish are right here. Because, I mean, it's totally predictable. You know, like this year, I knew where the fish were going to be when they were, and when they were going to be there. So we can do that. But that also runs the risk of, do I really want to take people to a place where I know a bunch of big fish are? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to do that. Regardless, this is just a quick public service announcement, asking people to think about the impact of their fishing. While targeting spawners is not illegal in most places, what kind of angler do you want to be? Another big thing I want to address is that after these fish spawn and go back to their trouty ways, their eggs are still in the bottom of the river, incubating for up to four months after they were dropped. So even when these fish are no longer on their reds, it's important to consider where you're walking. Maybe try to avoid trampling through those gravelly areas the next time you're wading your favorite stream. Okay, we have to take a quick break for an advertisement here, but when we come back, We've got a big announcement about the future of this podcast. This episode and this entire podcast would not have been made possible without generous support from Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This is Jim Klug with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This week's feature destination is Belize. Easy to get there, Belize is ideal for anglers who are new or relatively new to saltwater, great for families or couples, and incredibly diverse when it comes to fishing, with opportunities for bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, and more. And the whole idea for this episode really started with the guy you just heard from, Jim Klug. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Okay, back to the show. After my chat with Ben, of course, things had to come to a close. Well, cool, man. Uh, anything else you want to include? It's been a pleasure, Ben. Yeah, you too. No, um, you're near, nearby. Come fish with me sometime, man. I'd love to have a beer with you. But I had to inform him that I don't really live in Colorado anymore. and I'm actually moving to New York City on Tuesday. Holy shit. So I won't be, yeah, I won't <laughs> really be in your neck of the woods for a while. Right on, right on. Well, we might bump into somewhere, bump into each other somewhere. What What are you doing in New York City? I'm I'm actually going to try to get a real job. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's all right. I had 
Yeah, no, it's great. It was the best thing I ever did, man. I had like cool jobs forever. I've been all kinds of cool things and now I'm not something glamorous at all and I'm way happier than I ever was before. So, so go for it. No, go do what you want to do. It's with very mixed feelings that I have to announce that the Drake cast is coming to an end. For the past two years, Tom Bai and the Drake magazine allowed me to travel the country with a microphone just asking questions. And it's been amazing, but it's time for me to move on. I don't have a job lined up. I don't have a real plan other than move to a big city where I might be able to find work in the audio production industry. Because the fact of the matter is, when it comes to this whole podcasting thing, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'd like to learn. There are a few more stories that will come out in the coming months, including a great one about Steelhead. But for the most part, the Drake cast is about to take a very long, potentially indefinite break. I want to thank our sponsors for making this whole thing possible, to Tom Bai for believing in this thing before I did, and to our listeners, to you for continuing to press play when a new episode comes out. So I'll end this one like I always do. Truly, thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast.